Good to see you, Ians. Really nice. You put the Ian in Christian, so that's good. Excellent. So, uh, just quickly, your names. One, two, three. Yeah, that ain't going to work. In my head, I thought maybe somehow, supernaturally, by the Spirit of God, he would reveal everyone's name in the room this morning, uh, but it didn't happen. So, it's so good to see you today. My name's Dominic, and it's a real privilege to be in the beautiful district of Cornwall. It is a little bit like heaven, isn't it? Only a bit sunnier, maybe. Since we've come down, we've had a bit more overcast weather. What's it been like the last few weeks for you? Has it been super hot and boiling? I'll take your word for it because I wasn't here, but it's certainly been hot in Dorset, hasn't it? And um, we just love Cornwall. We've been coming on holiday here now since we've been married, like 15 years, which is crazy. This is my wife, by the way. Stand up, Louise. Give everyone a wave. We brought a gift with us this morning. My son, Caleb, walked poo all the way through your church as he came in this morning. So that's just a little gift from Sunny Hill this morning. You're welcome. And my wife, uh, she did the very Christ-like thing and mopped it up. So thank you, Luby. And me and Dave pointed to the bits that she was missing <laughs> between the door and here. Honestly, I don't know whether you've got a child like this, but uh, Caleb seems to just, poo seems to gravitate towards him. If, if there's poo on the path, his shoe will surely find it. And we've got a dog in our garden. And he likes playing football. So often we end up with it in the house, which isn't great. But it is such a blessing to be with you this morning. We've got Phil and Emily in Sunny Hill this morning, I believe. I think they're going to be there, so it's quite cool. He's not preaching. He's got the Sunday off. Um, but uh, just thank you for the way that you guys are loving the Colemans. They're such great friends of ours, personally, and as, as, as a church as well. We just love the Colemans so much. And uh, we miss them, particularly Emily and the kids. Phil, not so much. No, I'm fine. Um, they're, they're, they're sorely missed. We've got no East End of London vibe now in the pulpit ever at church. Yeah. Good morning. Hey, hello. Hey. That's all Scouser, isn't it? I should never try to do accents. Accents never work out well for me. But I was so encouraged this morning because as I was playing the keyboard in practice, Val came up to me and she said, I love your preaching. You're so strange. Said, huh? What did you say? Oh, okay, right. She didn't like the Fire Mountain episodes we've been doing. I thought you said I was strange, but hey, I'll take it. That's still a compliment where I'm from. I'll take it. Um, so thank you so much um, for that. Um, this morning, I'm just going to talk to you on this idea of no plan B. I'm going to talk about the church and the role of the church in the end times. And um, we are living in the end times. Make no mistake about it. The world is pretty nuts out there. I mean, if you've got, I'm guessing you've got the TV down here, like news and internet. I know it took Phil about a year to get internet, but now he's got better internet than us, hasn't he? It's incredible, his internet. Um, but if you put on the news for like 0.8 seconds, you'll soon see how crazy the world really is um, with all the conflicts, with the famines, with terrorism, but not just that, with the mental health of society, with the next gens, and men mental health and emotional health and relational health eroding. It's a very challenging time for people to exist. Um, but the time has never been more necessary for the church to really rise up and understand who she's called to be. And um, really, my encouragement to you today is this, is that if you're thinking there's another plan in heaven that God is holding back, he isn't. You're it. Uh, we are it for Cornwall, for Devon, for Dorset, for the Southwest, the Church of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think it's easy for us to uncouple ourselves from the divine destiny on us as the Church of Jesus Christ. And sometimes to trade in the idea of this ground-shaking, planet-shaking, earth-shattering, earth-changing dynamic that is the church and trade it in for some religious gathering of people that just get into a building and sing songs and talk to one another. Actually, the, the church is called to mission. And so you are 
the mission of God. And um, anyone know what that picture's of? Well, I, I don't know. What is it? Michael's Mount, is it? I typed in pictures of Cornwall on the Google, and that's what came up, and I thought, it looks a bit like Michael's Mount, but I wasn't too sure, but I think it is. I mean, I think that's where we walked last time with Phil, and we nearly got cut off, which just shows the testament of his leadership. He led us somewhere, and then the water cut us off completely, but we managed to get back. So um, I've got three sons, Caleb, Judah, and Zeke, and three years ago, we went to Australia and New Zealand for like a three-month window. It was amazing. Uh, We had an incredible time. On the way out there, um, I don't know whether you're like me, I'm not really an obsessive person at all, but when it comes to traveling, my hand is constantly on my passports. Anyone else like that? I'm literally counting them all the time. Like, not just for me, but also for my wife. I'm not just making sure mine's there. I'm making sure that all the kids' passports are in order and present in my little bum bag. I'm one of those nerdy travelers that has one of those really um, slim bum bags that you can either wear there or wear there and conceal it under your shirt just in case there's some wandering hands in an airport. And all the time as I'm walking around customs, my hand is constantly opening the zip and putting my hand in there. And just by nature of doing that, I'm more likely to lose them because I'm constantly opening the zip, pulling them out, and then I get even more obsessive because then I'm looking at the faces on the passports to make sure that I've still got the right passports and that I haven't been shortchanged with some kind of empty passport book at some point in my journey. And um, normally it's fine, but three years ago, we were in a layover um, coming to Australia, and our crossover, our layover was in Singapore, and um, we had about an hour window to get to the right departure gate, okay? Uh, And so our plane lands, and I don't know if you've ever been to Singapore Airport, but it's massive. It's a nice airport, but it's huge. You actually need to get a train to get to some of the gates, right? So we're getting on the train, on the monorail, and we're going, and all the time I'm counting the passports, all the time I'm counting them. And then we get to our gate, and who knows what you have to do before you get into your gate? You know know those metal detector machines and all those kind of x-ray machines? I, I hate them so much because you just end up standing in the queue for so long. But literally, you get to the front eventually, and you put all of your stuff onto, a, um, onto one of those boxes, one of those purple boxes, and then, like, you know, take off your shoes if they've got metal in them, take off your belt. It feels very kind of weird when you're starting to get undressed with a thousand people in the queue behind you, and you're putting your belt in the tray. And um, at this point, they were saying, you need to put your passports in there as well. I was like, well, that's weird. I've never had to put my passport through there before, but fair enough. So I take out the passports, and I put them into the box, okay, and everything goes through. And then to the other side, I take everything out of the boxes, and we stand to the side, those little areas where you can reload your bags and put your belt back on, put your shoes back on, and I count the passports, and there's five of us, but there's only four passports. Somewhere between that moment of loading them into the machine and retrieving them the other side, like one went walkies, okay, now, instantly, I'm like, please don't let it be mine. Please don't. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Caleb, I'm fine with losing, but mine, Lord, it's, <laughs> you know, make sure I get to Australia. Now, I go through them, and uh, Judah, my middle son, who was six at the time, I think, maybe five, his passport was missing. Now, this is pretty serious when it comes to crossing thresholds and boundaries, it would seem, because uh, all of a sudden, they wouldn't let us progress our journey. They were like, no, you can't pass without everyone having a passport. And I'm like, but he's only a child. Look how cute he is. He's not going to do any harm. Just let us get to Australia. It's like, no, you can't go past this point without a passport. And so we're kind of freaking out. You know, I'm thinking, as any dad would, 
sorry, Louise, you're going to have to stay here with the kids until you get this sorted. You know, we've got a water park booked in Australia. I need to make sure we get there. And I'm joking. Um, but, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because Judah was beside himself because he understood the gravitas of losing his passport in a place like this. And they were pretty um, unrelenting in how they were to respond. We could not progress without that passport. Judah could not pass through that gate. And so I go to the people who were kind of controlling the machine, and I said, listen, I put a passport in, but one didn't come out. Or someone has taken it since it has come out the other side. Can you check on the CCTV? I want to make sure that no one had stolen the passport. And after some kind of discussion and deliberation, our plane was going to be leaving in 10, 15 minutes, they decided to go and get the kind of the airport, one of the airport kind of engineers, and to take apart the machine. And they did. They took apart the machine, right? And right in the mechanism of this conveyor belt thing was Judah's passport at the bottom. Somehow, between us putting it in the box and getting to the other side, I think it's because these fancy robotic things, they whip the box up and then put it in the thing and send it to the other side. The passport had been launched out of it and had been caught in the mechanism. And literally the relief in us was kind of like... Oh, thank God, Judah, you can come. You can come to Australia with us. You're welcome. We found it. But I was just thinking about that the other day. I was thinking about this message, how, like, how important your identity is to you moving forward. See, there's something very significant about losing your identity at a point of transition. When you're about to step into a new territory, when you're about to step into a new space, obviously in this illustration we're talking about sovereign territories. We're talking about countries and boundaries. But I also think spiritually, I think one of the greatest challenges to us as the church of Jesus Christ is that we've forgotten who we are. And I think actually what COVID has done is it's really knocked us of our confidence. And it's knocked us of something of understanding of the divine mandate and assignment that God has placed on us. And so this morning, my objective is really clear before God and before you. It's to remind you of who you are. It's to remind you of the assignment on us as the church of Jesus Christ. And I've kind of, if you like, I've brought it down to this idea. I have one objective, to restore, refresh, or renew your passion and love for the local church, whichever one applies to you. So maybe some of you need to have that love restored. You see, often we talk about loving Jesus. Jesus is kind of easy to love, in my opinion, because he's perfect. He's faithful. He's never let us down. Yes, life has been hard at times, but I've always known the presence of Jesus with me. The church, however, <laughs> that's a different kettle of fish. Because the church is filled with people who aren't exactly like Jesus. The church is filled with people who suffer from um, the human condition. right? And at times they let you down, at times they can be flaky, and we have been that to other people. So actually, it's easy to love Jesus. It's much harder to love his church, yet it's a non-negotiable. Jesus has called you to love his bride, the church. If you said to me today, Dom, I really like you. If Val came up and said, Dom, I like you, but your wife, she's a psycho, <laughs> I would have laughed, to be honest. Fair enough. You know, if you come and express some love or commitment to me, but actually you, you don't like my wife, then we've got issues. Because if you like, we come as one. And marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. So, so you, can't, you can't have Jesus without the church. And you can't have the church without Jesus. It's the groom and the bride. It's the family of God. And so I really want to encourage you this morning that like, you know, sometimes people just stop going to church. They say, oh, I just watch God channel at home. Well, 
70% of the stuff on God Channel is rubbish anyways. But the problem with the God Channel is, is that you've got a remote control. And you can turn it over if you feel a little provocation or a little rebuke or a little challenge. Actually, the church is the, the place where God edifies and equips and empowers his people for works of service. It's actually his plan A for transforming the world in which we live. There is no plan B. You're it. I'm it. So be encouraged or provoked, whatever is necessary. So to restore your love for the church, to refresh your love for the church, or to renew your love for the church. I think one of the challenges with our identity in the church is we forget who we are. And listen to this. If you're making notes, you should capture this. Because I think this is what God wants to say. What happens is we replace liberty with legalism. Okay? We mistake fate for faith. In other words, what will be will be rather than God is wanting me to kind of impact this situation. We prioritize the church program over the presence of God. And we champion tradition over transformation. Dave was talking about that this morning. This is a house of transformation. We are a people who have been transformed from glory to glory. But often in the church, we, we champion tradition and people fall more in love with tradition rather than the, the passion of transforming society and transforming communities. And we often dullen our spirit for adventure and settle for a spirit of apathy. No wonder the church in the UK is in trouble. Somewhere she lost her identity. But this isn't going to be your story, is it? Um, one, two. This isn't, going to be a, this isn't going to be your story, is it? I sound like one of those airport guys. Oh, please extinguish your cigarettes. Thank you. Fasten your seatbelts. Thank you. So, the church has to work. The church has to work, guys. Has to work. Has to work. God isn't holding a plan B back. He's not like, I'll give it another five years, Jesus. Oh, you want me to move this? I thought you were saying I'm nuts. I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy, dude. Yeah, you're a crazy. Right, okay. I can do that. This is those little encouraging messages you get from the tech team at the back. On the side. You? Crazy. <laughs> at least he wasn't dead. <laughs> I've had those before as well. Right. So, the church has to little bit of church history if you're not aware of it now this bit is really exciting even though I say history and exciting you think no history cannot be exciting listen church history is amazing in Acts 2 we see the inception of the early church the Holy Spirit comes in power on a handful of believers 120 in total and they were effective so they went from 120 believers right waiting for the promise that Jesus had promised who was the Holy Spirit to come and they get filled with the Spirit, and the growth curve is shocking. How many people got saved in that day? Close? 3,000. So started as 120 remnant in a room. The Holy Spirit comes on the church. They're filled with the Spirit. 120 people filled with the Spirit leave the upper room, go out into the streets, and 3,000 people get saved after one message from Peter. 3,000 people. Like, that is 25 times growth in one day. Just imagine that kind of growth here at Hope Church, just for a minute. What would that do for your coffee rota? <laughs> just saying. How would the kids work luck if that happened here? In one day, the Holy Spirit comes on the church and 3,000 people get saved. It's crazy. And we're not, we, we know that the 3,000 who respond, they're not just emotional responses. They didn't turn down the lights and play some nice pad underneath and kind of give some emotive message. 
They were solid decisions for Jesus that led to baptisms, right? 3,000 people getting baptized in one day. It's crazy. Now, the crazy thing is, is the, the, um, the growth curve doesn't let up. Actually, it, it continues. Even though the state at the time, the Roman Empire, was trying to oppress the church, persecute the church, and rid the, the church from the face of the earth, right? The, the, the growth curve did not let up. If you've got your Bibles, just turn with me just for a moment. Okay? Acts 2. You can open them. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. But if it is, praise the Lord. Acts 2, verse 47. Can someone read that out to me, please? Don't see why I should have to do all the hard work. I'm on holiday. So someone else can read the scripture. Acts 2.47. In your best Cornish accent, please. That would be great. I see you're getting, lots of you getting your devices out. Check you out, guys. <laughs> With your modern tech. Okay, in which case, swipe to Acts 2 then, I guess. Swipe to Acts 2.47, loud and proud. Ian, stand to your feet and declare it to the people. Come on, go louder. Stand on your feet. Come on, I'll help you up, brother. Come on, you were watching Coldplay the other night. I know you've got energy. Let's go. So this is after that 3,000 revival, okay? So 3,120 in Acts 2, 47, just a few verses later, it says the Lord was adding to the number daily. You know, we're not talking about the random baptism or the random conversion happening every other month. We're talking about daily growth happening in the church. Okay? And it is on the Bible in the sky, so this is really helpful. So Acts 4, verse 4. Can someone read Acts 4, verse 4, please? Don't be shy. Acts 4, verse 4. Stand to your feet and declare it. Acts, is that Acts chapter 4? Oh really? You might need a new translation because that one seems a bit squiffy. That's the gospel according to Rudolph, I think. Acts 4, verse 4. That's a great verse though and it's actually quite pertinent to this message. So remember that one. Okay, look, it's on the screen. Can somebody read that please? God, you're a shy bunch, aren't you? Okay, you, can, you can read in here, yeah? Right? Okay, cool. Right? Okay, I'll read it. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. What a sexy society they were living in then, right? But that's how they mapped growth. They counted the men. They were doing it like this. So obviously they counted one gender, and then they multiplied it, and then they could get a ballpark. But what we're reading in Acts 4, verse 4, is that actually, by this point, there's probably about 15,000 people who are now professing Christians in this persecuted um, environment that the church found itself in. Okay, Acts 6, verse 7. I'll read it to you just because I don't want to be shamed again. The word of God spread. The number of d disciples in Jerusalem increased. And the next word, can anyone see it? Increased what? Rapidly. Rapidly. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Rapid expansion. This church was dynamic. It was literally ground-shaking, earth-breaking, 
life-transforming, devil-fleeing. It was crazy. It was going from glory to glory. And we read in Acts 8 that at this point, the persecution is kind of widespread and the church is forced into scattering, but they didn't relent. Basically, even though the enemy was trying to oppress the church through persecution, God used it to multiply the church because now multiple missionaries were going to the Gentile nations. And, and it's absolutely insane when you look at the growth curve of this church. Now, I want to kind of jump out of the scriptures and look at church history just for a moment because in 100 AD, not long after this, the Roman Empire really put a slap down and clamp down on the, the activity of the church. Like, you read some of the stories of persecution, and it sends shivers down your spine. How they treated professing Christians uh, 2,000 years ago was horrendous, right? And in 100 AD, we see the dawn of the most horrific persecution that has ever, swiped, that has ever spread through the church. 100 AD. And they took a census, right? And the Roman Empire were trying to get a grip on it. Well, how big is this actual church? And by 100 AD... There was 25,000 people willing to say, 25,000 men, willing to say, I'm a Christian. Even though this would have meant by implication that they would have ended up in a gladiatorial kind of environment where they were slaughtered for their faith and mocked and abused and persecuted and stuff like this. The leaders would have been killed. And for 200 years, this horrific persecution breaks out and just sweeps through the land. You know, sometimes... What scares me about the church in 2022 is how easy we've got it. I, I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes we, we end up resisting persecution like it's an enemy to the purposes of God rather than a vehicle for the purposes of God. We often think, oh no, persecution's bad. But actually church history would paint a different picture. You see, after 200 years of horrific persecution... Constantine becomes the emperor, and he's a lot more sympathetic to the Christian faith. And they take a new census of believers, 200 years after this horrific persecution has played out. So in 100 AD, there's about 25,000 on census. 200 years later, on 300 AD, they take a new census, right? So 25,000 in 100 AD. How many do you think there were in 300 AD on census? 100,000, a great guess, brilliant guess. Huh? What's that? 500,000, getting closer to the money. I mean, I have no money to give you. But what I do have, I give to you. Get one of our kids, Louis. <laughs> you can babysit them for the rest of the holiday. Right, get this. 20 million. Doesn't that just blow your mind? 25,000 in AD, 200 years of horrific persecution... A new census taken in 300 AD, 20 million believers on census. Let me just say, persecution isn't our biggest threat. Apathy. Apathy is our biggest threat. Indifference to Christ and the cause of Christ. Familiarity. Religiosity. Going through the motions but not understanding who we are. Who we're called to be or what we're called to do. I've been, I've, I've been to some of the persecuted nations. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen the fire in the people. I've seen it. I've been in their services where it is a, a do-or-die situation. I've seen it where they've had... Um, I went to a Bible college in Burma that was an underground Bible college and they were 
disguised as a music college. I went there twice. We'd smuggled Bibles in because there were groups of 20 people in the church sharing one Bible. And they would pass it round and memorize it, memorize it. And they were training, ready to go up into the most persecuted areas of Myanmar, which is like in the mountains where people were killed and people were slaughtered. And they were sharing stories of this. And, and literally, they were excited about that as I would be going to watch England play. I mean, not that exciting these days, to be honest, because they're awful. But, you know, there was this sense of, this is our destiny. This is what we're about. This is our assignment. This is our mandate. I remember meeting one guy, Josh, and he showed me his cousin who was killed for the faith up a mountain as he was being a missionary in Myanmar. And he said, oh, he was killed last month. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he says, well, I'm going to go next week. And I'm like, this is mind-boggling to me in my nice, comfortable, little, established church on the sunny south coast of the UK where there's 20 people sharing a Bible. And I've got about 20 Bibles in my house, literally, Got two in the bedside table. Yet there's just, there's, there's no fire, there's no, oh, that was so challenging to me. And I know that all of us can't get on a plane and go to places like that, but take my word for it. The reason that these persecuted nations are literally exploding in the faith is because the church has understood her assignment. And they're not letting the government, they're not letting cultural society dictate what they can and can't do so important that we understand and embrace this mandate on us. As we see with the early church, 100 AD, 25,000. Now, 300 AD, 20 million. So for me, I have to ask this question, because I, I guess I'm a bit pragmatic like this, is what was it? What was it that did that? That growth curve that we see in Acts and beyond. Was it the leaders? I'm not sure. <laughs> was it the programs? Was it the fancy website? Was it the strong social media game? Was it the brilliant barista coffee? Was it the effective alpha courses that they were? Was it the quality worship team? Did they have like an Allen person leading the early church worship? Was it the slick production? Was it because they called themselves Hillsong, so they just grew by default? I don't know, I mean... I'm sure they did have good leaders, and I'm sure that they were strong in terms of communicating about the church. But ultimately, I think the survey says, uh -uh. I think there's three words that are really challenging to me when I read Acts that often we miss as we just bypass this passage in Acts 2 and jump into the exciting stories. And it may not be what you're expecting, because I think normally people would say, the Holy Spirit was the game changer, and of course the Holy Spirit was. But it wasn't the Holy Spirit alone. Three powerful words that have the power to change your understanding of church ministry. Are you ready for those three words? Acts 2, verse 42. Can we put it up, please? First three words. Acts 2, verse 42. Acts 2, 42. Has anyone got there in the scriptures? Can they read it? Verse 42, just the first three words. That's it. Say those first three words. The first three words. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves. 
that's so much more significant and seismic than we often realize when we read through the scriptures. The context is the 3,000 people who just got saved and got baptized. What did they do? They devoted themselves. The three most powerful words, I think, in terms of understanding, a Christian understanding their duty and role in their walk with God. They devoted themselves. What does devotion mean? Well, I looked at the Greek and it means they joined constantly. They stuck by. They committed. They committed themselves. When people think of the book of Acts, they think of the arrival of the Holy Spirit, but I think of it more as the arrival of the people. The Holy Spirit wasn't born on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had been there since the dawn of creation, hovering over the deep. The Holy Spirit wasn't a new personality in the Godhead. And Jesus was like, oh, where did you come from? I just was born. It was amazing. No, the Holy Spirit had always been there. The Holy Spirit didn't just arrive. It was the people of God who just arrived. It was the church that was born. The Holy Spirit had been present since the time, but the church was new. Think about it. Often we think about what the early church devoted themselves to, but I think the key thing is less about that than more about the fact they devoted themselves. So before we even get to the prayer, apostles teaching, breaking of bread and fellowship, let, let me just say this. Only you can devote yourself. And that's challenging. Because we like to make excuses as to why we can't devote ourselves. Maybe offense with a leader, maybe offense with somebody else, maybe relational strain, maybe a, a diagnosis, maybe cancer. I'd love to, but I can't. But only you can devote yourself. No one else can devote you. And I wrote this down, and maybe this is helpful. You can't do anything without the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can't do anything through you without your devotion. See, two things caused rapid expansion in the early church. The Holy Spirit moving, number one, and the people devoting themselves, number two. You know, I often say, I, I wonder sometimes if we're petitioning in heaven and saying, oh, we want to move of God, we want to move of God. And I just wonder if God is looking back at the church saying, I want to move of people. <laughs> I want to move of people. We talk about devotion to Christ, and of course, that's our primary, that's the great commandment. To pursue him and give him everything. To worship him with everything we have and all that we are. But actually, let's not underplay our devotion to the church. You see, the opposite of devotion is distraction. And if the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. Distract you from your corporate assignment. Distract you from your corporate mission. If he can't get you to leave God, he'll get you to leave the church. So important that we understand as we look at this that devotion wasn't just a Sunday attendance thing. It wasn't just doing a new Bible reading plan for the first two weeks of January. The early church, the stakes were so high that if I'm going to buy into this, I understand that I'm putting myself and my family at risk of the government's persecution. And yet people did it in their swarms. They did it in their thousands, their hundred thousands, and ultimately millions. They devoted 
themselves. The leaders didn't twist their arm. They weren't coerced. coerced. They didn't cast a glorious vision that compelled them to devote themselves. The early Christians just simply responded to the call. And the only way that made sense in light of the good news was full devotion. The Holy Spirit can empower. The apostles can teach. The pastors can lead. But only you can devote yourself. God desires all of you. The church requires all of you. Devotion is what separates converts from disciples, fans from followers. Yay, Jesus Christians, to yes, Jesus Christians. This season requires a church that is fully devoted to the cause of Christ. Time for distraction and apathy is over. I think COVID, um, I mean, I don't really want to get into that too much, but I think in many ways what it has done is it's broken the habit of people. And of course, that can at first seem negative, but I believe in many ways that God is using it because what the enemy intends to harm us, God uses to build us and to make us. Um, I think God is using it to refine the church, to actually separate those from people who go to church to those who are the church. From people who say, yay, Jesus, on a Sunday, to people who say, yes, Jesus, on a Monday. From people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, when it suits me, to actually people who are saying, I'm a Christian, I'm ready to lay down my life for this. It's time to restore, refresh, and renew your love for the church, this church. I love Psalm 92. Let me just read it to you. Psalm 92. This is an encouragement. Listen to this, verse 12 to 15. We read this. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will still, they will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. You know, ultimately, what the psalmist is saying is that when you are planted, that is where you flourish. There is no evergreen nature. There is no um, life in abundance when your roots don't go deep and planted into the house of God. And the promises to the people is that even in your old age, you will still be fruitful. This isn't a cause or a mandate exclusive to the next generation, to the young people and to the kids. For sure, they're a part of it. They're the church of today as well. But there's this promise and this invitation to every man, woman, child, whether you're 5, 10, 50, 70, 100, and I won't go over that because I know there's no over hundreds here. But ultimately, when you are planted in the house of the Lord, there is this sense of blessing on your life. We've found that in our life as a family. We have found the abundant blessing and provision of God. And it's not because we joined into the fold to get those blessings. Those blessings are a byproduct of a people who are planted and faithful and devoted to the cause of Christ. And the invitation, it's not exclusively to us, you know, as the Bird fam or as the Coleman family. The invitation is to ordinary people to understand that Jesus, you have called me. And you've called me to be in relationship with you that I may be saved. And I thank you for, my grace, for your grace. But now in light of your grace, I'm now going to go into the world as a witness, as an evangelist, as somebody who shares 
my story with them in the hope that more people devote themselves to the church of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. I'm telling you, the church is still growing. The church is still growing around the world, but in this country, it feels like not so much. But let me just encourage you this morning that those who devote themselves, they will not be shortchanged. The future that awaits you is glorious. The destiny that is before you is incredible. I think sometimes if we could just see from the future all that God can achieve through us, we'd have no problem in saying, yes, Lord, right now. But more often than not, our doubts, our distractions, our apathy gets in the way, and we think, yes, Lord, I'll get to that eventually. But the encouragement this morning is simply, the church is on the move. There is no plan B for Cornwall. We are it. We, alongside our brothers and sisters in the Methodist, the Anglican, and across this land, we are plan A for a dark and dying world. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe this morning, I want to encourage you. The Holy Spirit's here. There's an invitation for you to, if you like, just redevote yourself. Recommit yourself, yes, to Christ, but also to his church. And if you're a visitor this morning, then stand if you want to redevote, I'm not talking about Hope Church, I'm talking about Capital C Church, the Church of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, just where you are this morning, 